Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. things we say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. And I'm Nelson. Hey, he's right in there. <laughs> yeah, everybody else, we have to give permission to do that. Nelson's been on already enough that I guess we don't have to. It's basically so. my show. <laughs> so when we were getting ready to start, Nate says, quiet on the set, Sheldon. <laughs> and I got to thinking, how many times in my life that a teacher or a principal or a someone just randomly on stage We'll say, everybody <laughs> quiet, Sheldon. <laughs> like, I have had my name tacked onto the end of that phrase probably more than anybody else. In even the history in our, of ever? Even in our office. <laughs> even in the last office that I worked in. Even in the youth group. So I'm, I'm, I've been volunteering at our church with the youth for probably 13, 14 years. And I think in that time span, no kid has ever outdone me in that category, yeah, having their name tacked on to the everybody quiet shouted. I always, like, I always say that my mother-in-law. And I'm, I'm supposed to be helping them. Yeah, I've always said that my mother-in-law is the loudest person I know, <laughs> and I stand by that. In because she is loud in every respect. When she enters a room, everything is loud. The stomping is loud. That when she picks things up, sets them down, her voice is loud. But you take the cake in terms of a voice that projects and cuts through more than any I've ever heard in all of my born days. It's almost like I was born to preach. Or something. <laughs> born to something. Born. Or, or to stand on a stump in like the 1850s and run for president. <laughs> so you were born I got in the thinking wrong. about that the other day. Like I could be one of those old school debaters where you just give me a stump and like 200 people and they could all hear me. A you literal you stump have a lot to say. Yes. <laughs> Yes. He has a lot of words. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that we always have a lot to say, but you know, there will be a, there will be words and they will be said and they will be passionate. That's exactly what this show is about. <laughs> Thank you for breaking that down. I know. I'm I'm brilliant. What can I say? Oh man. Well, the well, things we say where we accidentally explain the purpose of the show every the single of every, show. every single time. I don't know why. I don't know why I feel the need. I I seriously do not stop smiling from the time I walk in this door all the way through the podcast until we're out. Like, this is one of my favorite things to do. I'm, I'm with you. I, and yeah. Nelson's here. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Would you tell people that it is okay being a guest on our show? I feel like we've asked people yeah. to be on this show Why that are, are scared of it. freaked out by that? I don't think I can handle the competition, so no, I will not endorse oh. this show. <laughs> <laughs> the more often other yeah. so far that you feel like if somebody puts a lid on I've it. hit the glass ceiling and the more other people also on the show the less often I get to be here so no I cannot endorse being on the show and we're show. too lazy to add you to the show notes so this is about as far as you're going to oh, get I, guess so. I haven't even added me to the show notes oh man that's true that's true but you're gonna this week I'm sure Nelson's big moment right here sounds like a children's book Nelson's, Nelson's big, moment. big moment oh my word <laughs> Nelson grew up on a farm <laughs> in, in eastern Canada. None of that's true. 
<laughs> I was trying to think east or west, actually. I was, it was eastern Canada. Canada. You got the right side of Canada. Oh, boy. Also, see, some of that was true. Mm. All right. Did you know? <laughs> My segues are perfect. Don't you question them? <laughs> On Friday, August 13th, because this week had a Friday the 13th, oh, yeah. this is where we're getting a Did You Know from. On Friday, August 13th, 2010, a boy was struck by lightning at the Lowestoft Seafront Air Festival in England. He was hospitalized with minor burns and recovered fully. What's truly weird is that the boy in question was 13 years old and he got zapped at 1.13 or 13. 13. 13. Wow. Yeah. And if you'd like more of that, Aaron Mankey has a whole podcast called Cabinet of Curiosities. Yes. <laughs> I love Aaron Mankey's stuff. It's it's just good. He's Although, got too many plugs on this show. I'm going to charge him. He's got too many shows is his problem. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's his problem. The, the man has no life other than his podcasts. But um, Cabinet of Curiosities, Lore and Unexplained. And I think Lore got an Amazon special. Yeah. No, yeah. Lore, and Noble Lore Blood did. is his too. Yeah. Noble Blood. He, it's, it's a... It's part of his, his, I don't know, production company. Hmm. I will say, I like that show. If I hear her say the word execution instead of execution one more time, I'm going to go to where she lives, I think in L.A., and I don't know what I'm going to do. It's have very ex- stern words. Yeah. Execution. I found her on Twitter, and which I will not be following her because just the three things that I saw her post, I'm like, nope, not going to do that. But Was it very socially aware? She thought so. <laughs> it was definite social commentary. Awareness was not anywhere amongst that at oh, all. Good. But I thought about tweeting to her. I'm like, you got to stop saying this word execution. You use the word too much to be mispronouncing it's it. It's probably so better than going to anybody's house. Yeah, that's true. In this tweet. day and age, it's yeah. probably a good thing. I have a, a good friend who uh, he was born in Hong Kong. And when he came here at six years old, he didn't speak a word of English, even okay. though all of like his family is all Americans. And now he's an adult, doesn't speak a word of Cantonese, um, but also like there's no accent in his English. But there's all kinds of words in English that he constantly mispronounces. Really? And his reason always is, well, it's my second language. Well, it's like, yeah, but it's your only language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, English is my wife's second language. Believe it or not, mine too. Yeah. My wife's, not mine. Yes, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> who who so is confused. a different woman. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But my wife's family's been in the States forever. Is that your did you know? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Pennsylvania Dutch is my wife's first language. All of those kids' first language, I think, actually. There you go. Awesome. I think that's a really great moment for my, our first seg- our, our segue. Nelson, can you tell us why we're wrong about this? <laughs> so um, We were going to do a show about why we're wrong about things, like things that we've been wrong about. But I put it out there to see if anybody would tell us things we've been wrong about. And you guys, you guys didn't great. have anything. So we're going to come up with a few things that we thought we were wrong about. Or we're going to go with we're just never wrong about anything. Yeah, you guys have a great track record operating. according to your viewership. Yeah, apparently. Or listenership. Or they're just really lazy. I have a few yeah. things off the top of my head. But well, they've been anyway. really busy the last couple days. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's There's true. so many events to go to. And, so much to and do. things to do. So many things to people do. People to hug. <laughs> people to hug. Hands to shake. Ooh, babies okay. to kiss. So a, a friend of mine had posted on Facebook, hey, uh, if this you've got kids. This is your second my buddy story, so you're, you're going to about tap out on the limit here soon. <laughs> anyway, she posted, hey, if you got kids home from school, um, for reasons that won't be explained because Kayla doesn't want us to, um, 
you should have them draw a picture, write a little letter, and send it to nursing homes because they're not allowed to have visitors right now. And I said, yes, and make sure that your disease-resistant children cough on those first yes. before you... It just seems like a, yeah, an equally not, bad idea. It's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. <laughs> I don't think we should be sending... Anything to anyone. No. Keep it to yourself. Wave, wave politely as you go by. <laughs> anyway. So, um... Think Sounds so sad. <laughs> so, for, for myself, honestly... I've I've been struggling to think about things that I think I was like dead wrong about or severely wrong about, whereas where it relates to the podcast. Um, but I also have not gone back and like just listened to everything we've done. Uh, Why would you? Exactly, because that that I feel like this was sprung on me a little later than I anticipated, and I probably, if I'd have had the time, I would have gone back and actually listened through and be like, no, I don't agree with that anymore. No, I I called that wrong or whatever. But I I couldn't. Nothing came to mind. Right off the bat. Now there are other things in life I I can I can run with, but not that. So Nelson, what do you have? Well, I want to say thing number one. Thing number one uh, that Nate has been and is currently wrong about is what an interesting fact is as compared to an anecdote. <laughs> How so? Last week's episode, I think, is a great example. You said, I've got to... He pointed out to me that <laughs> Nate's did-you-knows are not factoids. They're anecdotes. They're things about Nate's personal life, which happen to be true for a lot of people. Well, true. Which... <laughs> That's, fair. That's fairly true. I like that. Which but is... It, I, I enjoy them still. I look forward to them. But they are still factual. <laughs> they may not be universally applicable... <laughs> But they are still factual. So when I find a did you know, I go out and like scour different places trying to find something interesting Obscure to bring to knowledge. this podcast. <laughs> but you wheel in and you will just go through whatever it was Don't going on your in kids your normal to a restaurant. Day. Well, that's because like... I've spent 36 years building up the content that I have in my head <laughs> for what we do during this show. So that's I just right. I have no desire to seek out new content. I'm I'm fairly happy with the balance that I've struck in my own your head. Your whole no, life has led good. up to this moment. That's right. It has. I it don't has. think that's a criticism. It was just something that was pointed out. To I, me I don't feel once. I don't feel criticized or defensive. I'm just explaining myself. No, don't stop doing it. They're great. They're great. They're just not facts. They're yeah. don't take your kids to a restaurant is more of an opinion. No, no, it's no, not. That's a fact. That's a fact. I'm judging fact. From don't take every your kids date to a restaurant. I've been on that's been interrupted by a three-year-old. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm going with that. It's fact. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I. When you said going on dates, I'm married and take my wife on dates, but I can never take the concept of a date apart from dating. Yeah. So when you're like the amount of dates I've been on, I've been on interrupted by a three-year-old, I'm like, who were you dating? <laughs> <laughs> Mostly just the same woman who had yes. a three-year-old. Depending how far back we go. Right. Right. <laughs> oh my. Who word. were you dating intentionally, Sheldon? <laughs> oh, that's true. Mm. We're not getting into that on this public podcast. Yes. <laughs> Ask him about it sometime if you know him personally. It's a great yeah. story. Yes. Yeah, well, let's just put it this way. I was not always as aware about who liked me in my social circles. And I was totally fine with having friendships that were that may have looked like dating relationships. Yes. But it's okay. I, I never had that problem. <laughs> I had clear... Uh, but I was never really friends with girls if I wasn't interested. Like, there are a few girls really? in my life that I kind of, like... We're, they were in my group of friends, mm -hmm. but I wasn't like, we're not going to hang out and tell each other deepest, darkest, whatever. Like, if we were going to hang out, like, I was interested. Like, that was my, that was my tell. We're hanging out one-on-one. -on -one. Hmm. Um, and I assumed the same thing if a girl was trying to hang out with me one-on-one. -on -one. Mostly, it served me correctly. 
Once it did not, <laughs> but that's okay. That's a whole other story. But you totally... married her anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> My intentions were true then. Hers were not. She didn't know what she was doing. She was, she was, yeah. She didn't know what she wanted, but I, I wasn't. I was wrong about Christmas the first time we went through the Christmas thing. Oh. I went a little too hard against Christmas. Yeah. Just because eh, it was for the clicks or whatever. But it was also, there were some more things that I've, held more strongly to early on in this whole podcast. If you go back to the first time we talk about Christmas and then the episode that we just did this past Christmas, you'll notice some differences. Yeah. I've toned it down a lot. Yeah. It's still the third best holiday in my calendar, but it, you know, I don't hate it like I used to. Sheldon's becoming less of a crotchety old man in his old age. That's shocking. I know, but it's a a blessing. It's like Benjamin Button, but just with his personality. (laughs) He becomes more likable as he gets old. <laughs> Did anybody actually watch that movie? I've seen it several times. I've never what? seen it. I've yeah. never seen and it. And every either. time I think of it, I see the scene at the end where the old woman and the baby are walking, and I'm like, nope, can't do that. There's just so much wrong with that. I can't do it. Oh, no, the whole movie's gross. Yeah, but, thank uh, you. I've seen I, it several times. It seems like it. Why? But it's also, I, I don't want to make the claim that this movie is some kind of pedophile apologetics movie. Yeah. But it's certainly more that than Twilight is, <laughs> which is fairly pedophile apologetic. Yeah, what is he, a 500-year-old vampire and a 14-year-old, 16-year-old girl? What is who she? then have an infant child who starts, who bonds with or imprints on a teenage werewolf. This is what I've been told. I've not read or seen these books or yeah. movies. Yeah. <laughs> so take this all with a giant grain Kayla, of salt. Yeah. Kayla read the books, liked the books, watched... I think half of one of the movies like this is stupid. Mm-hmm. I think she read the books. I'm pretty sure she read the books. So Kayla reads a lot of books. The, you you had had me uh, at hello. No, mm. he was telling me about this pod dating show that apparently everybody's oh, watching. Yeah, where they date in pods and then they finally see each other or something after they get engaged or whatever. It's yeah. Stupid. Apparently, it's taken over the world. It kills, it kills my soul when I hear my I'm wife talk about that it. I still Has it gone viral? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't talk about things going viral right now. Why not? <laughs> I don't see the problem. <laughs> oh With gosh. what? <laughs> I'm confused. Nelson, you are the problem. That's why you can't see the problem. I'm just going right? to put a mirror right here. <laughs> you, Nelson, you are, are the problem. Man. Mm. The amount of times that I've been told, Nelson, you are the problem, (laughs) is probably similar to how many times Sheldon's been told you're the one that needs to be quiet. Everyone quiet, Sheldon. Sheldon. Mine has been some variation of, are you listening to me? That's what I've gotten all my life. Are you paying attention? Are you listening to me? Or what did I just say? (laughs) Those, one of those Repeat that back to me. Yeah. Okay, giant segue off of, and we'll get back to what we've been wrong, but, uh, I was just listening on the way over here, and I was like, I have to bring this up. Uh, I was listening to No Name Face by Lifehouse, mm-hmm. and I sudden I haven't heard this album in years, and all of a sudden it just like transported me to a different place and a different time. Yeah, and I'm like, this this was such good music that I listened to for a specific period of time, and I know exactly who I was and what I was feeling when I listened to that. Yeah, what is the album? That does that for you. Oh, man. That takes you 
to a different time, a different place. Like you, if you would turn it on today, yeah. you could somehow get in touch with Nate that was back yeah. here somewhere. Um, album, song, I don't care. It doesn't have yeah, to be a whole album. Totally. Um, I would say... Man. See, I'm thinking now of my life in different eras, and so there's right. different albums for the different eras. And there's all there's several of them that would do that. But like DC Talks Free at Last would put me in a very specific yes. point in my life. And that was interesting because I was kind of a little younger than would have typically been listening to them. But because my dad was a youth pastor, I was listening to DC Talk all the time. You know, that was that was part of my thing. So that one puts me in a very specific place. Um, but I would have to say probably the biggest one is uh, Switchfoot's um, – oh, why can't I Learning think of it? Learning to Breathe? No, no, no. I'm thinking – Beautiful of, Letdown? Yes, yeah, Beautiful Letdown. It's a good yeah. album. It's a good album. Yeah. That, that one is, is, was very like, formative for me for whatever reason and really, really made an impression on me in my teenage years. I was – I think I was married when that one came out. Yeah. Or close to being. Or Never Take Friendship Personal by Amber Lynn when I was going through a breakup yes. and it was my rage music. Still a good album, whether or not it's rage music. Yes, but, but it was it was my, my driving the car in rage I just realized when I was listening to that album that I don't sing at the top of my lungs in the car anymore. Yeah. And it's been years since I've done that. And yeah. that album came up on Spotify somehow and I was listening to it. And I'm like, I can't not sing out loud in the middle of my car to this entire album. It's awesome. That's how I am with Queen songs. Yeah. <laughs> if Queen starts playing, I'm like, I'm going to crank this and sing it as high and as loud as Freddie Mercury right now. We're going to do it. But not as well. Probably not as well. <laughs> Freddie was something. But, but Nate Mark, has the range that he can legitimately Mark, get close. But Mark Martell might be. He's a worship leader. He, he always will guarantee to have yeah. a voice that's just a little bit higher than the rest of the congregation. Yeah. <laughs> so that we can only follow him so far. That's right. But I, <laughs> but I will say, I think Mark so Martell might be better than Freddie. Simply because of the lack of the hard lifestyle that Freddie led. That affected his voice over, over the years. For me, there's a very specific... Like, so I'm an old man at a young age. Yes. I find music mostly tedious He's wearing and a cardigan right now. Yeah. I sure am. And, uh, <laughs> and, and slippers. Um, I showed up to somebody else's house in slippers. And a trucker hat. So That has a demon 12-sided die, dice on it. Some mm. sort of demonic. No, it's a, it's a D20, 20-sided die, <laughs> and it's a planet. Okay. No, there's nothing demonic about it. <laughs> I know. We've it been over the this. Dungeons and Dragons. We've been over this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still afraid. But so I, I find most music tedious and annoying, with the exception of like three chord punk and ska. Mm. But there is a particular album. I, I brought this up only because I didn't think you liked music at all. Oh. I, I really I really don't. Um, the music it's, I like it's so sad. is like objectionably not terribly good music. But my brother has a very deep appreciation for all styles of music, and through him, um, I by osmosis learned what makes for good music. And I can identify good music in just about any genre, even though I don't particularly care for it. <laughs> but there is a particular album that was played often enough at a very specific time of day through a period of my life that will always, always, always take me to my parents' basement, my, my bedroom that I shared with my brother in my parents' basement in New Brunswick. 
that was two tone. It was purple. Sorry, it was blue on the top half of the room and orange on the bottom half of the room. <laughs> Harley and I shared bunk beds, and I was on the top. I was on the bottom bunk. I was the monster under his bed, and we were reading Del Toro Quest, which is a series of not terribly good fantasy novels. <laughs> and every night, while we were getting like winding down for the night, reading Del Toro Quest. Through the entire series we read, there was like six or seven books. That entire time, Harley had on repeat T-Bone's gospel alpha mega funky boogie disco music. Oh, man. And so that music will always like bring me back to the story of Del Toro Quest in a moment. Wow. And I couldn't think of the name of the novels. So much of this is so sad. Oh, I know. And, and so specific. And I, there was a time when I was, like, recently I was trying to remember the name of these books, and I couldn't. And I said to Harley, hey, you remember those books we read as kids? Uh, and I, I kind of described them, but he's like, no. I was like, it's what we would read while we were listening to T-Bone's Gospel Alpha Mega Funky Boogie Disco Music. And he's like, oh, Del Toro Quest. Because <laughs> it did the exact same thing for him. It took him back to that exact moment. That's funny. That's insanity. <laughs> That's very, that is crazy. Yeah, how did you end up like that? Because Harley's a great musician. Oh, yeah, he's incredibly talented and hardworking, too. So yeah. what he lacks in talent, he actually makes up for in hard work. Yeah, totally. Okay. And like that, it, that, is, that is a that thorough compliment. avoid the question of how did you turn out yeah, like Yeah, so did. how did you turn out like this? What happened to you? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little broken inside, I guess. <laughs> and it's something that music can't fix. Something music. Yeah, that's. But I will say that. But I listened to like, like I went through through phases of music because I yeah. hardly got me listening to just what everything. Like, I had an ABBA phase. I went. Mm. I, I really enjoy Elton John. Yeah. So even today. Um, but like usually, if I'm going to put on music, it's to drown out the noise of everybody else so that I can focus on something. Yeah. It's just back. I'd be just as happy with a white noise machine drowning everybody out. I'd yeah. be even happier with just everybody being quiet so I could work. See that? Yeah, that blows my mind because literally, if I have music playing, it distracts me from anything else I'm doing. Like, I can't, if I'm like... It okay, does me too. That's why down. I find it annoying. But I mean, yeah. So if I'm, but I enjoy it. So I'll get distracted pay- paying too much attention to what's happening to it. Man, especially if I'm wearing headphones, because when you're wearing headphones, you're hearing bits and pieces that you could not hear if it's just out in the open air. Um, but music has always been such a, like, not even formative. I use that word too much. But uh, it, it, it's such a foundational element of who I am, what I do in every respect that I, I can't imagine not... Yeah, every aspect of my life I can attach a song to, right? Without without question, or at least a, or an album to, um, and it expressed what I was and what I was feeling and where I was at, uh, and I've I've never known what it's like to just be indifferent to music. Ever. So so one of the, and I for me, music in a lot of ways has taken me to another place or another time. It whether it's spiritually or yeah. even even just in imagination or whatever it is. Uh, there was a thing floating around on Twitter a while ago that showed um, a person with imagining an apple in their head. Yeah. And there was a bright red apple, and it went all the way down to a grayscale apple, and then there was, like, no apple. And it was like, where are you on this scale? If I say imagine an apple or picture an apple, yeah, like, if you were to close your eyes... What do you see? And for some people, they see an actual picture with their eyes closed. They see an actual picture of an apple. They can describe to you the colors, 
like whether or not it has a stem, is it sliced open? Like they can tell you all of this about it. Right. When I close my eyes and you say, picture an apple, it's black. <laughs> like there is, there is no picture. Like it, the TV is not on. Okay. <laughs> but I know what you mean. So like when people would say, you know, just imagine, you know, something like this. And I'm like, oh, people are imagining. Like I know what it means to imagine, but apparently my version of imagining is not what most people or what some people are acquainted with. The more you're describing this, it makes you sound like a sociopath. <laughs> but but okay, he's, uh, he's still but, normal. But what I'm, what totally. I'm saying is that there's a certain segment of people that don't yeah. see anything. Like, right. and then, and My wife is one of and them. And so I was reading the replies to this where people were putting themselves somewhere on the scale, and they're amazed that, first of all, those of us that don't right. see, see anything, they're like, wait, you, you see, exist? see it? Like, you can see yeah. it, see it. It's not like you metaphorically somewhere in the ether, like, it, it's you actually see something. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we see something vividly. And then they're like, can you do the same thing with hearing? Like, can you? And some people can, like, hear somebody's, somebody who's died who had a unique way of talking, yeah. they could hear their voice right now if they just imagined yeah. it. They could hear it yeah. right now. Totally. Not the same for me. Really? No. My grandpa had a very unique way of, of talking. And to this day, like, ever since he was gone, that's one thing that I'm going to miss probably the most is hearing him talk because I can't replay that at all. I've got nothing unless it's recorded and I go watch a video or yeah. wherever we would have it that I could hear it, but I don't see it. Yeah. I don't I don't see it, I don't hear it. It's just pretty much gone. So my yeah. my brain is a lot cleaner that way and and some people are like that's what makes their brain so cluttered because some of this is so vivid they can see, they can hear things and all of that. And so for me like music has always been somewhat of a gateway into yeah. just another experience because I can get lost in the music and just enjoy being where I am, which is why I enjoy corporate worship when everybody's singing. It doesn't have to be a style that I enjoy. It just has to be music and everybody together, and it takes me to another place. And, and that's why I'm like, for you, Nate, you're like one of those guys that like sees, feels, Hears. immerses himself yeah. in music. And for Nelson, it's math yeah <laughs> it's like basically math your understanding of a good song or a bad song comes down to i uh, get it yeah yeah <laughs> is the treble bass melody doing what it's supposed to do is it hitting the rhythms that it's supposed to do for this genre in what ways is it bending and breaking the genre like i get it yeah i understand it as like a a thing but i don't enjoy it <laughs> now i will admit even though what you're describing is what I typically do, like I'm typically in that, there have been times, and it, it's been very rare, I can maybe count on one hand the times they've happened, where I'm listening to music and it just sounds like or organized noise to me. Very rarely does it happen, but it has happened to me three or four times. And in those times, I'm like, I can't listen to this. Like this is, and it's not, it's even music I like, but it just, it doesn't, for whatever reason in that moment, it doesn't gel. I'm hearing all the pieces and it's not doing anything together. It's just individual things making noise. Um, but huh. that's very rare that that's happened. And I don't know why it's ever happened. But um, I do think it's funny, though, because what you're talking about, you know, the, 
the descriptions of, of the hearing and all like that's that's me 100 percent and I could vividly describe to you things in my life things I experienced uh, based around the visuals mostly you know I can I can describe what someone was wearing what we were doing like where like I remember things very very vividly Kayla does not remember things vividly you know if yeah. I tell her she just kind of like it's like she sees the words on the page and she describes the words on the page that happen but she nearly has an eidetic memory like that when she's reading. Um, if she's studying, she will literally memorize, okay, it's on this page, it's this many paragraphs down, it's this section, this is the answer to that question. Like, she, will, she has a filing system in her head. I don't do that. For me, it's, it's how do I associate with what I was experiencing, where I was at in the moment, what was I feeling, what was I smelling, what was I hearing. Abstractions. All of those things are what inform me and help me remember the random things that I remember. Yeah, and I have to be really careful when I retell things from my childhood or my teenage years or things like that because though I was there and I experienced them, I remember them the way I experienced them, and a lot of things are much bigger yeah. or much smaller than I remember them. Totally. And, mm -hmm. and then I will talk to somebody else who was there at the same time doing the same thing, and I'm like, do you remember this? And they're like, that's not how it went down at all. Let me yeah. tell you about how it actually went down. And I'm like, oh, now that you say that, I see how what I understood out of, like what my memory is of that is yeah. not even really close. Right. So like my sister, my next youngest sister, her memory of our childhood is almost perfect. Mm. And, and so I will go back to her and be like, hey, um, this is what I remember. What, what do you remember? And then we'll piece it together like, ah, I remember now what this is about. But I don't have that, that like being able to just put yourself pull there. Pull it up. Yeah. I don't have that. And, and that's why sometimes I don't always understand what people are talking about when they're like, yeah, well, you can just go back to that place. But it does happen to me through music. It just like, yeah, interesting. Pull you through. Malcolm Gladwell did a really interesting episode on his podcast, Revisionist History, talking about how the more often, studies show anyway, the more often you recall a specific event, the further it becomes from the actual event that took place. Yeah. Um, and people will basically, so, so not even just a matter of time. In fact, if you go many years but only ever recall it once, your memory will be closer to the event than if yeah. you go, you know, a week and re recite that event like 10 times. Yeah. The more often you go back to it, the worse your memory of it is. Well, because probably is. you elaborate on it because you're, you're trying to describe it to a person who wasn't there, who doesn't mm -hmm. remember it. And so you're adding details. You're adding bits and pieces to the story that weren't actually happening just to give them something to identify with. Yeah. I can yeah. totally get that. I've got, there are stories that I tell. I consider myself to be a good storyteller. Um, people <laughs> seem to enjoy my stories. I would agree. And there are stories that I tell that um, I'm not sure if they're true or not <laughs> i don't i know that broad brush strokes of this are probably true or at the very least um something similar happened to somebody i know yes <laughs> but you've owned it. and i've owned the you've story i've modified details and i've made it a very compelling funny story i'm not sure if it's true or not that's fair and i'm okay with that uh, one thing I was wrong about was impeachment. It, I said that it was not going to happen because people were uh, campaigning and they were all senators and they would have to come back to Washington right. to sit through the impeachment hearings, and mm -hmm. I was definitely wrong about that. Really? They did do impeachment. They yeah. just didn't take a very long time at it. They were very quick in deciding that they didn't want to impeach him. And I, I think that 
the Democrats made a show of saying that they wanted more and more and more testimony, but I don't think any of those senators actually wanted to sit there for the extended amount of time it would have taken to do the whole thing. Yeah. Do you think so? You think they would have scored enough political points that they wouldn't have had to do rallies and everything in the? No. 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 I I don't I I think that the whole thing was a done deal in the Senate before it even happened. So they made big grandstanding things about it and then got out of the way and let the inevitable happen. But that's I was wrong about that. I was yeah yeah I I honestly thought they weren't going to do impeachment at all. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But they did. I don't know. And I've 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 thought that this whole uh, this whole virus thing was going to blow over by April. We're not talking about that. We'll see how that goes. But <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm still hopeful that that can happen. Yes. But anyway, I have something that I'd like to ask the two to of you. We're that. not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> Anything so, about that? So right before this podcast, um, I had small group with some young adults from my church, and there was a question that was asked that I couldn't answer, or at least. I wasn't satisfied with my answer, and when I tried to quickly do some research on my phone to try and find a better answer, I wasn't satisfied with the answer I came up with either, um, or that we collaboratively came up with. So I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Sure. What's the question? What is the difference between price gouging and market? And anticipating the market? No, no, no. Just you know, natural a supply natural and demand. At what? what point does supply and demand pricing become price gouging? And why? Because I have emotional answers, yeah. but that's not good enough for me. I, when does when does high when do high prices become price gouging? Yes. Now a simple Google like quick definition would tell you it's when the price is unfairly high. Well, who determines fair? Well, uh, and I would, it, that it's I would extortionary. Uh, or or immoral in some way, but at what point can you define something as extortionary or immoral? I think it has to do with having a monopoly in some regard. Like you have you have somebody that has a corner on a particular market, and they're gonna drive I, up the cost. I can give you a perfect example of what I think it is. Okay, and that is there was there was just recently a story that's gone around. During this whole thing, where a guy bought seventeen thousand bottles, that's the reason yeah, this question 17, came up. Seventeen thousand bottles of hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. with the intention of selling them at a tremendous profit to himself, him and his brother. Yes, yep. and both eBay and Amazon froze his account because they considered this wrong in the midst of it. So I would say, from He's my since donated all seventeen thousand. To <clears throat> some of them went to local charities to distribute to people in need, and the rest went to the state uh, that he gave it to the state. Well, how centers. much of that's just PR management, though? Still, but no, he did. He did, one way he the did other. give it all away. Yeah, one like, way or the he other. Gave, he gave it all away, and his whole thing was, I was just trying to time the market on something yeah. that I figured would eventually become expensive. I wasn't trying to take it away. I didn't want to grab the last thing that somebody had. Right. Like, that's not but my you, thing. I was trying to buy you, it ahead right, of time. But my thing that I look at, when you go with 17,000, like there is, an, there is an excess there that to me... In his own words, he was going into places and clearing out the shelf. Yes. Right. So in my mind, I'm looking at that. You, when, you, when you try to exploit a crisis for personal gain... Especially one 
like the one we're currently facing, mm-hmm. I think that it automatically speaks to the character and motive of what you're what you're doing, and right. that and that's where it changes from just being purely, hey, I think I can make money off this. Um, it's like war profiteering. I mean, it's like there's just a certain thing, and you're right. I think it is more emotional. When somebody looks at a thing and just says, this is just plain wrong. I think price gouging is something you know when you see it. Um, <laughs> but that's not good enough. Like, well, right, they, so they did prosecute, <clears throat> what's his name, that pharma bro? The guy that went out and yeah, he has bought up different patents and then just drove the price up artificially. Yeah, And that that's pretty clear because it was selling at one price. You bought it and you just jacked the price up because you're the only one that owns it. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's legitimately worth that at market value. So, so it does, in a free market, in a free market, we wouldn't have patents. So you don't you don't buy into intellectual property? I'm not wild about it. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I've heard some very good arguments against patents, and it's for that reason. Because yeah. in a truly free market, it, you're making the market inherently unfair in a certain regard and now i don't with so much with art and things like that but with a commodity like that where you you've patented a drug or you've patented something that saves people's lives and you get them hooked on it or they get prescribed that and then it is what's keeping them alive and you take it and drive it up what protects that happening is the patent at the end of the day right and and so a patent. So my dad holds a few, and a patent is only as valuable as your willingness to litigate for it. Right. And and so I I don't see why in a totally free market you couldn't have patents and intellectual property, because it's then just only as valuable as your willingness to litigate for let it. Let me let me give you an example though of something that I'm going to go with Sheldon here, but it's a much more simple thing. Mm-hmm. Back when uh, when the transition for firearms were being made from cap and ball revolvers mm-hmm. to board through cylinder cartridge revolvers. There was a patent that had been, somebody looked at this and said, okay, I see what's coming here. And they patented the ability to drill a hole all the way through a cylinder to put a cartridge in. It was called the Rollin White patent. They gave exclusive rights to this patent. They sold it to Colt. Colt was the only manufacturer that was allowed to do this. To drill a hole through a all cylinder? The way through, all the way through the cylinder. Of a gun? Of a gun. So or of anything? No, of a, of a firearm. Okay. So to go completely through. And so if you violated that, actually, did they license it to Colt? Or did they license it to Smith & Wesson first? I don't remember. Anyway, one of, the, one of the major gun companies. But it literally held back the technological advancement of firearms because... They were litigating it severely, and they could not. They could not make advances in cartridge firearms because they had that process and that drilling a hole through a cylinder that way. They stopped. They stopped anybody else from being able to do it. Now people came up with other methods to get around that, and a lot of them just were like, "Screw it! I'm just gonna, I'm gonna violate the patent. I don't care." Um, and they eventually shut those places down. You know, bankrupted them. Wow. But it's it's those simple kind of things where you look at it and you're like anybody. Could have thought of that. Anybody should have been able to. But it's, again, you look at it and you go, but you're the one who thought to patent it. Like, even if that wasn't your original idea, you're the one who got the legal papers and filed so it. So which side of the point does that prove? Exactly. It's, it's Well, okay, so then. In some ways, that dividing... held the market back. Yes. <clears throat> and it held the consumer back from having what they could have used. Right. 
at the time. Okay, so then let's let's for a second then divide or, or, or separate out, you know, intellectual property and patents from price gouging. You said you know it when you see it. I, I don't personally think that that's a good enough metric. I would agree. Right? Does the Bible say anything about charging <laughs> exorbitant rates when there is an unusually high demand for something? It says about not having unfair weights and measures. Okay. That's strictly forbidden. In the Jewish customary law, <clears throat> God was like, there has to be fair weights and measures. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so that when yeah. you're dealing with, and that, that made sure that the Israelites, when they were dealing with people around, with the other peoples around them, that they were using fair methods. And it wasn't like you got rich because your methods were unfair. Right. And they, and the Lord also had them not charging any other Israelite interest on loans and things like that. So they're to that. It's like, okay, they're not going to be gouging their brothers. You know what I mean? I think I can find a practical example. Because I think specifically price gouging ha happens when one person has an excess and charges excessively for it when other people need it. Mm -hmm. And I think the most fundamental need that everybody has is food. And very clearly in Leviticus, like, they were to, when they, cl when they harvested their field, leave right. some on the outside. Right. Right? So you have, you intentionally left an excess. I guess price gouging, the reason like the emotional response comes is it is the antithesis of generosity. Yeah. And it's possible. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's and you can be profitable and low. generous at the same time. Right. Yeah. There's no reason not to be profitable and generous at the same time. Yeah. Now you get to choose how that looks because you're the one being profitable. You get to choose right. how your generosity looks, but it's not a good, it's not a good thing. The market doesn't respond well to you. In the long term, with your price gouging, yeah. nobody's gonna deal with you. That's an yeah. interesting question, though. That it is. It's. I, I would tend to agree with Sheldon. Like there is a, a sense of like you know it when you see it. I mean, it's it's obvious when you see it. But I've never sat down to really quantify it and like say what is it that makes this. To me, it's just it. It has to be the moral the moral idea of it. But again, so many people can look at anything and say. You know, well, there's plenty of people that look at current markets that yeah. are mixed and say, no, this is pure capitalism and it's bad. Yeah. Right. And I, I'm like a hardline capitalist and I say, no, it's mixed and it's bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the things that people are exploiting most times that make something seem unfair or out of balance, even going back to the big monopolies back when you had, when, when you had anti monopoly laws coming yeah. in and that, that type of thing. And the, what was it like? 1920s when that was huge like they when they were going after big monopolies it was because the monopoly had an unfair relationship with something that the government had set yeah. up yep. and so if in a, we don't really know what a truly free market looks like or a real capitalist society looks like we have a hybrid system right now mm -hmm. in fact all of our money is borrowed from the federal reserve and right now for no money whatsoever so yeah. it the with the federal interest rate at like near zero this is going to be crazy yeah 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 <laughs> anyway what else were we wrong about nelson I think we've I knew, kind of. I knew I've that impeachment really, was there. I've been really enjoying over the last couple of weeks watching Sheldon kind of heel turn his opinion about a very specific thing happening. Oh dear. 
uh, that's happening right now. When it first came up, uh, he was fairly, um, I don't know the right word for it, but basically it didn't seem like he cared all that much. And slowly, slowly he's taken it more seriously uh, to the point that now he's telling other people, no, you need to take this more seriously. And I think that's interesting to watch. <laughs> so what, what? What, the coronavirus? I wasn't going to say it. But <laughs> <laughs> I was told that we're not to talk about it. <laughs> oh, man. I still think it's stupid. I think the panic over it is stupid. I, I think we shouldn't panic. I, in some ways, I, I've been shown the wisdom of not everybody getting sick at once. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. And if you truly just let people do what they want to do, that's what's going to happen. Like, everybody's going to be sick at one time. So, I, I specifically, um, <laughs> Sheldon was saying, well, just, just so Sheldon, for those that don't know, Sheldon and I work together, and we talk to each other a lot, and it's really funny watching how two of his opinions about something will be almost purely contradictory. So as as everybody knows, uh, Sheldon holds Japanese culture in high regard. Right. And he said that even their metro system, like everybody gets off and they all walk in the same direction and it's great. Uh, and in the U.S. that wouldn't work because there'd be a 300-pound American walking the wrong direction saying, I don't understand yeah. 400 pounds. Last, last podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is what we're referencing. Um, you can listen but to But this it. week at work, somebody was talking about how here in Ohio, it's a plausible future where um, with somewhat authoritarian... Uh, regulation comes in and says, hey, uh, people need to stay in their homes for a couple of weeks. And Sheldon says, if they do that, I'm going out there and I'll shoot anybody that comes at me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at him like, Sheldon, you are the 400-pound American <laughs> walking the wrong direction saying, I don't understand why we're all doing this. I, I was, no, I was like, if they, if they forcibly confine people to their homes, that's gone too far. I think at that point, everybody should pick up guns is what I was saying. Yeah. But... I get it. I I understand. On the other side of it, like at a certain point, that that is an initial reaction. Right. Where I don't know if you told most people several months ago, hey, the government's going to tell you all you have to stay at home and you can't go anywhere. I what would you say? They'd probably buy all the toilet paper available to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Apparently, that's what protects us. We're all going to be dead, but we'll have very clean butts. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> That's the part of this that I think is the stupidest. I do not understand that. Of all the things you would go out and panic by, why that? No, toilet paper makes plenty of sense to me. You're going to be stuck in your house for two weeks. What's a, what's a non-perishable item that, that you're going to use regularly? And and people that don't understand, like it's yes, it's flu-like symptoms, so people are like, oh, I poop a lot when I have the flu. So in that regard, yeah, you don't need that much toilet paper, but they're buying it up so... You know, because they're predicting they're going to be stuck in their houses. The one that doesn't make sense is the people buying like 20 gallons of milk. Because yeah. milk doesn't, doesn't keep yep, doesn't and keep. it doesn't freeze. Nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. About that I, too. I think if you, and this is one of the reasons I want to talk about things that I've been wrong on. I've been wrong about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. That's the whole point of this show. There's, uh, there's a number of things if you listen back to it, I'm pretty sure I would just tell you, yeah, I'm not proud about that. But it's okay. Yeah. You've been passionately but, wrong about things, too. Oh, absolutely. 
Because I, I was fully convinced of it at the time, but I think it shows a certain mark of character that when you're shown wisdom that you accept it. But I will always question your why when you're yeah, trying to change sure. my mind. I will not take it on face value that I'm wrong. <laughs> Prove me that I'm wrong, and then I'll change my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. I'm the same yeah. way. Un unlike some other people, when I put up a change my mind sign, I'm really willing to have my <laughs> mind changed. Well, he says he is, and I think... Uh, I don't think that's the case. No, I don't either. <laughs> I will say, I will say, he is much more polite in those than he is on his show with people he disagrees with. I love when he when he gets on his rants, though, in his shows, simply because he sounds like old-school Tom Hanks. <laughs> like, exactly like old-school angry yelling at Hooch, Tom Hanks. I've never seen Turner and Hooch. Really? Neither okay, then I. Woody yelling at Buzz. Oh, there we go. Everybody you knows that. You are a toy. Yeah, he gets that that high open. Oh, and it gets all. Yeah, he gets up in there. Yeah, I really like his uh, Bernie Sanders impression. Oh my word! The one percent. Yeah. You know who does ridiculously good impressions, and you never realize it when he's doing it because you think they're terrible. And then he will play a clip of that person immediately falling. You're like, oh my goodness, it sounds just like it's Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro can nail. No, like, he cannot. No, but he can. <laughs> his my favorite was his Chris Matthews. I would listen to him do Chris Matthews, and while he's doing it, I'm going, oh, this is a little over the top. Like this is so out there. And then he would play a clip of Chris Matthews, and I'm like, oh no, it's real. That's exactly what it is. Okay, so Ben Shapiro's Chris Matthews, I agree. Yes. I've had the same uh, reaction. His Barack Obama, also surprisingly good. Yeah. Um, but he, surprisingly, he's very bad at doing an old Jewish man. <laughs> His, his, That's true. his Bernie Sanders. Like, that should be his best. Maybe he just doesn't want to offend his people. You know, like, he's got an uncle somewhere that he's like, ah, I don't want He's going to gonna vote for Bernie. <laughs> oh, my word. That'll be the day. Are you implying mixed allegiances, Sheldon? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> That's why he's not making fun of him. We were just saying how great it would be to have Joe Rogan moderate the presidential oh, debates. It would be so beautiful. I, I I mean, so one of my... If he could do it just like a WWE, or like a, oh, what, ah, crap, not WWE. MMA. UFC, yeah. sorry, yeah. UFC. Same thing. No, it's not. So I agree with you, but for totally different reasons. I love, I love the no Joe... No audience, just Joe. I love Joe Rogan experience when he's not talking to comedians or, or talking to other uh, fighters. When he's talking to people who are experts in their field. Yeah. Right. And, you know, for the benefit of the doubt, we'll say that politicians are experts in their field. <laughs> and so if they're campaigning and they want to run the country, we should we should hear them say as many things as possible in the <laughs> longest form possible. Yeah. So that we can really digest their ideas because we want to make sure that they have well thought out ideas. Well, they're actually being challenged and questioned by somebody. Exactly. And no audience. I and like no, I like tonight's yeah, cause, no audience. Yeah. Because when you, everybody cheers and there's clapter and it's no good. But one of the most... If I were president, I would ban clapping at the State of the Union, and it would cut that whole thing down by like 20... You'd have a 20-minute, you walk in, you give a 20-minute speech, Sheldon, all right, good, shake hands, your, out we go. Your State of the Union, you'd get up and you'd say, the State of the Union is good, and that would be it. 
That'd be great. That's all we want to hear. So one of the most... Uh, we want to drag in this guest and that other guest and put the camera on this people and have them stand up and half the room claps and then the other half the room claps and then, and then they all clap for five minutes. Oh my goodness, it's the worst speech I've ever seen. I don't care if it's Obama or Bush or Trump. This is an awful way to do a speech. <laughs> It's not even supposed to it's be a speech. A it's supposed to be a letter. Everybody's clapping. It's supposed to be just a letter. All, that's all he has to do constitutionally is write a letter to them and, and tell Sounds them. Sounds like a meeting emails. that could have been an email. email. <laughs> 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 uh, a giant meeting. A meeting that could get bombed oh, and our entire man. system collapsed. No, they have a designated survivor. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did and a whole show about it. Literally it is TV actually, shows about it. It is actually Kiefer Sutherland, just yeah. so everyone knows. <sighs> so, yeah, it's not, it's not Kiefer Sutherland playing somebody. That's no. Keith Sutherland playing himself. <laughs> yeah. He's um, just kept somewhere else. So one of the reasons I think that is because there was a book that was really formative when I was like developing my political con- ideas, uh, which was Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. Yeah. Have you read it? I've not read it, but I know of it. So basically, in the, in the 40s, there was two dystopian future books that got published. The first was 1984, mm-hmm. which everybody reads in high school. Uh, which, you know, it's a future where everything's um, totalitarian and authoritarian and it's the worst. Uh, And then the other one, uh, which less people have read, is uh, A Brave New World, which is basically the government runs everything and is control of everything. uh, And it's super easy to do because and people don't care about it because they're too busy entertaining themselves and amusing themselves. Yeah. Um, And basically... Uh, this book is Neil Postman's book, um, Amusing Ourselves to Death, is just saying that is the future that we've we've already stepped into. Yeah, Television's a terrible medium for public discourse. And if we continue on this way, basically um, soundbite politicians is all we're going to have in the future. And he wrote that in the 80s. Yeah. And like <laughs> now it's like, Yo, you're absolutely right. That's what we have. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Soundbite politicians is what we're going to have in the future. <sighs> there is a future in which Kanye becomes president. Oh, I'm so man. excited. Could you imagine a, a could you imagine a, a presidential <laughs> runoff between Kanye West and LeBron James? Could you imagine those debates? Taco Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> that would be high level entertainment. Chick Fil A. You know, I do think that's one of the yeah, things. Just that's so yelling <laughs> brands at each other that they like. I do. I do think that's one of the things that's so funny that that people threw out all the time. And yes, you're gonna have to ring the bell. About Trump when he was running for president, or when he became, they did the is same that the thing. The first time we've said his name. Yeah. Yeah. But they did the same thing that they did with Reagan, which is, oh, you're going to put an actor in there. No, no, well, I said it would be Obama or Trump or whoever at the State of the Union. So, but anyway, go, going on. But I think it's a fun. It's like, oh, they're they're they've elected a reality TV star. So this is what you get. I'm like, that's like a third of what Trump has done in his life, like yeah. comparatively. Like, yeah. and so only throwing that out as if that's the only thing he ever did. I'm like. Yeah, like do you I, only know Trump for The yeah. Apprentice? Like, because that, I remember the late did? 80s and yeah. early 90s. How like, did he get The Apprentice? That's right. <laughs> but it's just funny to me the way that people selectively do that on both sides. I watched recently where you know Ben Carson got up and talked a little bit in a news conference recently and happened to cough in his hand. And the whole all of Twitter started talking about how stupid he is. I'm like, this man could literally operate on your brain. <laughs> And there were people like, oh, I can't believe people actually would let him operate. No, it's like he was just one of the best in the world. You know, no, forget that. Like, yeah, talk about this guy like he's an idiot. Right. Because you because you know what you're talking about. For sure. I remember the very moment when I stopped watching The Apprentice. Me and Jess were into it. We were watching it and we got <laughs> there was an episode where he had Chuck Schumer on. Oh, Lord. And they were 
And Trump was being so overly nice to Chuck Schumer. And uh, at the time, I didn't think much of Chuck Schumer and his politics. And I'm just like, what do you think of Chuck Schumer? He is just so kissing up to this guy. And he was a Democrat back then. And and the way and the way he was just like showering praise on this dude, I'm just like, yeah, I can't I can't trust your judgment. You're just saying such nice things about a guy that is a senator from your state. Like I don't I, I just can't do it. And so I stopped watching. I'm like, I don't care. I, I don't never like watched it. I never watched The Apprentice and, and so, for the same reason I don't watch the State of the Union address, which is I feel the same about him now as I did then. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, I liked, I, him just, in, I liked him in Home Alone 2 a lot. <laughs> they edited him out on I CBC. Know Trump for Home <laughs> Alone <laughs> 2. And Little Rascals. And Little him. Rascals. And Little Rascals. He was a villain in Little Rascals. Well, he was the villain's dad. Hey, as the Jewish people it's say, him. if you munch on, if the father eats garlic and the mother meets onions, don't expect the kid to have good breath. <laughs> if your little kid is a total a punk, saying. it's because you haven't parented well. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair <laughs> enough. Oh man, he wasn't in Richie Rich, was he? Should have been. <laughs> no, but he could. No, that was uh, the father from Richie Rich is also the father from Gilmore Girls. Yeah. So uh, Ed, okay. uh, he's just built to play millionaires. Yeah, he's dead. He <laughs> <years> <laughs> We're trying to keep this lighthearted. <laughs> well, Curl- I love that movie. Which what? Richie Rich. Uh, I remember that, that. That's one of those that like puts me in a specific point right. and state no in that life. movie made me for a brief time hate money <laughs> i'm like this man's wealthy and so he can carve his face on rushmore like i was too young to understand like you know like most socialists i didn't understand how markets actually work that's right and i was too young to understand the world and then i started paying taxes um yes. but yeah no like that movie that like, does seem to be the dividing line is age and taxes taxes once you mostly taxes taxes then you start voting for Ron it's Paul supr- and say, taxation is theft. It's surprising how many Canadians on Reddit who defend the Canadian healthcare system, uh, when pressed, will confide that they currently don't pay taxes because their income is too low. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, telling you, it's, there's uh, a line. Yeah. There's a line, and that is it. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that for just a moment. Yeah, Here no. we go. Because um, I saw a really, really, really I don't remember which, I think it was a senator, I believe he was a Democrat, saying, um, you know, it, it really speaks to American culture that right now you can buy AK-47s, but you can't buy um, COVID-19 test packets. Yeah. Uh, and somebody's response was, that's because one's controlled by the free market and the other one's controlled by the government. Yeah. Way to sell phone. <laughs> and, and, oh, man. And then, you know, you, you see all these people saying, you know, well, uh, actually, Bernie Sanders tonight, we were watching just before we came in, was talking about how right now we can't provide the same level of health care uh, that, that every other country in the world can provide, which, yeah, every other country in the world has a socialized health care system that's second rate. Italy, like the, the amount of people in Italy dying right now because they can't keep up. Right. Right? So, I don't know, I just... It gets not, me hot under the collar. It's not a yeah. It's not a positive for the system. There have been a lot of deconstructions like that, like Michael Bloomberg, Bloomberg putting what is it seventy mil, seven hundred million dollars into a campaign and getting no delegates at all. And I'm looking at that and like everybody's always saying, oh, you can just buy, you can just buy the election. If you have money, you're gonna buy the election. Michael Bloomberg did not do that. Yeah. Somebody somebody pointed out that the Russians spent a hundred thousand dollars and seemed to have swung an entire twenty sixteen yep. election. Yeah. Michael well, Bloomberg spent 
spit $500 million in one party <laughs> and couldn't get and got two delegates. Yeah. Well, like, and then also, right after Super Tuesday, you're pretty much left with three candidates. Two of them were about split for delegates, yeah. right? And, and one of them, who was always saying, you know, millionaires trying to buy this election, had spent three times as much as the other one on, on his delegates. So right now, Bernie Sanders is the millionaire trying to buy your votes. <laughs> Man, he only has five houses. He's not like the rest of those millionaires. Yeah, that's right. Right, right. got take it easy. That was my favorite point in the debate. When that debate, when somebody hit him with that, and he's like, "And I'm sorry if I own a summer. What did he say? What did he call it? A summer camp, like so many other people do." And my, and I'm like, "What? You think that's an argument for that being okay with yeah. the, with your stance? Well, I got no problem with anybody owning three houses. I don't think yeah. there's anything morally wrong with that, but Bernie does. Yeah. So don't own three houses if you got a moral problem yeah. with that. Well, you know, if, if somehow he lives to, be, to the next election season, uh, by then he'll be a billionaire off his next book, and uh, suddenly he won't be complaining about the billionaires. It'll be the trillionaires yeah. he's complaining about. Yeah. Oh, man. Just keep it's moving unfair. that bar. So uh, Mark Ruffalo. Yes. Um, okay. Mark Ruffalo. I love his movies. Me too. He is a, a fairly open socialist. Yeah. Um, an anti-gun. An anti-gun. Did you know that it's surprisingly easy to see what celebrities spend in philanthropy? Yes. Look at Mark Ruffalo. It's not great. No. <laughs> it's none. Few are. Yeah. Very few are. Yeah. That's that's the amazing thing. What is it? Orange County, which is one of the richest counties in the entire United States, is mm -hmm. is I think like under one percent in terms the of 1%. charitable giving. But yeah, that's the yeah, thing. If you, that's if, the thing I always contest. Though you look at you look at Hollywood, you if, look at all of these things, and they're mostly really unhappy, despicable people. I mean, I thought it was interesting because I watched a little bit of uh, the the morning show. Yeah, and I thought yeah. this is such an interesting pulling back the curtain and basically saying, yeah, this is what we're all like in real life. We're gross. Yeah, like what we do interpersonally and who we are as people. We're just disgusting people. And I'm like, does anybody understand what they're revealing here? Yeah, that I think was unintentional. Yeah. I think they're mostly like, no, this is just normal life right here because it is normal life for them. <laughs> so it's no wonder all these people are bitter about all these, you know, the toxic masculinity and 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 sexual abuse in in the workplace because this is where it all happens. It all happens. It's routine in, those in your places. circles there, yeah. Hollywood. Thanks for pointing that out. So that actually got me thinking about something recently because I think. I think everybody in this room and probably most of your listeners can agree what Harvey Weinstein did is unacceptable. Absolutely. However, <laughs> however <laughs> if your real opinion is that uh, sex is just a thing people do, it just doesn't mean anything. Transactional. Um, if, the, if women enjoy and think about sex as much and pursue it as much as men do, and it's just a thing people do, it doesn't mean anything, then transactional sex like Harvey Weinstein was soliciting should be totally acceptable. Mm -hmm. If, however, what Harvey Weinstein did is wrong, and I believe it is, absolutely, then sex is not transactional. Sex is meaningful, and men and women look at sex differently. Yeah. Why is it that as a culture, we, we, like, we have such obvious like dualities in our culture that like people don't even like look at, you know? Yeah. And it's not even like a, a hide thing. It's like, no, we don't even talk about that. Totally. And if you do bring it up, you're a sexist. Yeah. Well, no, no, you're the one that's saying that what Harvey Weinstein did should be fine. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, we've, and we've had that conversation off mic before, that right. very thing of like, this is what happens when you, when you transition in society and sex becomes transactional. Yeah. These kind of things become... Now, 
I think even before it was as acceptable as it is in society for it to be viewed as transactional, this kind of stuff was still going on. Absolutely a, was. A person in power was trying to get something they wanted from a person that was that was underneath them, no pun intended. Absolutely. Um, but, but, <laughs> I would have glossed right over it. Have you, had, you said no, had you not said no pun intended? That's why I said it. Let's be real. We all know. The pun um, was definitely intended. I don't know what yeah. he's talking about. I, no, it wasn't intended, but I saw it coming before I said it, so I just was going to own it and just, and just move on. Thank you for that. Um, but no, I think it is about assigning value to people and, yeah. and assigning value to that re- to the to a sexual relationship. There has to be something valuable there, yeah. and it says something about your value and the person that you're right. with. Well, and and it it can't be. And that's just the thing is the totally focus platonic. the focus has been on the wrong thing in my opinion. In that, the focus on that is Weinstein was a guy with power and authority. This was a woman who didn't have it but wanted something that he had to offer. And so that that that's what's wrong in that was the power dynamic. That's not what's wrong with it. Otherwise, it would be wrong when Walmart sells me toilet paper. Exactly. Or doesn't sell you toilet paper. Or says I can only have toilet paper if I give them money. Right. So, <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't give you toilet paper. Yeah, it doesn't good. give me toilet paper. So the problem is not the power dynamic there. Because unless it's an actual rape, and there were some of those. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's also what he's doing horrific. time for. Then... then there was there was some form of consent. Like, yeah, what you're trying to, what I want from you is worth me giving this up. But again, I look at that, and the wrong part is not the power dynamic. The wrong part is saying that this thing that, it, that we all know, regardless of what we say, is not simply transactional, was being used as a weapon. I think, so my wife, when we met, was like a hardline feminist. Yeah, and uh, I've always thought feminism was pretty silly, and I'll 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 continue to say that, and feel free to disagree with me in person. We'll have a nice chat about it. Yeah, um, I might disagree with you on air about some things regarding that, but sure. um, so I think, <laughs> I think it is important that women and men value each other independent of their gender. Yes, right. honor and value people. I also think men and women are fundamentally different. Uh, and the feminist movement, especially third and fourth wave, less so with first and second, has lied to women, telling them that in order to get equality, they need to be like men. Mm-hmm. And that, that not that they are uniquely valuable in being women, that they have to behave like men in yeah. order to get what they want. And I think, I think, especially unredeemed men, see sex as just a thing. Yeah. And it's just transactional, and it's not—it's nothing emotional, nothing personal about it. Uh, and I think women see sex differently, and so women have been lying to themselves and being lied to, telling them it's telling themselves and telling each other that it's just transactional. It doesn't mean anything. Go ahead and have all the sex you want. I read a really, really interesting thing recently talking about the AIDS epidemic and basically saying, uh, r- reminding the U.S. that love isn't free. Yeah, it comes at a price, and that was a secular person writing that. Yeah, you know, um, it, it's not free. It comes at a price. You have to be willing to give. Um, and if an entire relationship is built just on sex, only one person's giving. Right. Well, I think I think in some ways, painting men viewing <coughs> sex that way is somewhat wrong, and it's it's what we've conditioned our culture to believe is mm-hmm. that men see it as only just a thing. And I don't think that's true. That isn't true in my experience at all. Like, yeah. to me, it's a very it's a very core part of who I am and my relationship with my wife. So, like, 
I would say all the way along is a very deeply emotional place for me. So like that, that whole argument breaks down between one man and another man, like, True. and, and between one woman and another woman, I would see that there are women that are outliers there, but to say that women have to be like men to have value is wrong. Yeah, that is wrong. You have value for who you are. I agree with that part of it. But the whole thing of like men are easier, like easier to separate it. Maybe they're easier to they they have an easier ability to separate it. But I think it it does just as much damage for men to treat sex as transactional as it does Agreed. for women. Like the Absolutely damage agree. is the same, and I think they get damaged in many of the same places, whether they realize it or not. And the fact that men aren't totally in touch with their emotions is part of how we've been conditioned by society to say that you should not be in touch with your emotions, that you have to, you have to harden yourself and you have to be in a way that you're not in touch with your emotions. I'm an emotional guy. I will remain an emotional guy, but I've also cultivated that where I don't care if you see me crying. Yeah. I don't. I, I may, I've, I've cried in the last week. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, and I don't even know who all was there to see it. But I'm also pretty open and honest who I am as far as an emotional being. Yeah. And I know a lot of, a lot of women are more emotionally intelligent in that regard than men are. But I think as some of that has been conditioned. And I don't think the balance is as far out as people are saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? There, there may be just as many women today or close to that number that are emotionally unintelligent and, and men that are emotionally intelligent. I would like to see that being freed up where guys being emotionally intelligent is fine and it's okay. I think, I think that's interesting because thinking in that stereotype, um, of, of a man just, you know, having sex anywhere and everywhere and it doesn't matter. Right. Eventually it stops. Eventually it does. Eventually a guy runs into a woman that's like, you're worth giving all this up for. I don't want to do this anymore. You're worth giving that up for. And it's immensely destructive often, for people. I'm saying most often. Obviously there are some, but they're the ones that you look at and it's like 40-year-old still at a singles bar trying to pick up 18-year-old girls and you're like, this is pathetic. So my, I'd like to explore that a bit in yeah. a second, but my, I, I first want to push back on Sheldon because I, I agree with everything you said, Sheldon. Be, my my assumption, right? My opinion is that it is the unredeemed man, yeah, who sees sex transactionally, right? No, I get that. Or, or at the very least, is more prone to see sex as transactional. Total. Um, you've been blessed that throughout your life, you've been raised in a Christian household and and exposed to Christian values from a very young age, and um. I don't know your full testimony and story, right. but I think no, I by, by the time you and Jess were, were, were dating and married, you were very dedicated uh, to God. Right. Um, but I have friends and family who that's not the case for, and, and, and I don't think that they're lying when they say they, they see sex that way. I don't think they're lying to themselves. Uh, I think that's really, truly how they see sex. And I, I think you're right. They don't see the long-term ramifications and effects it has on them. Um, and it may be a simple matter of emotional a lack of emotional intelligence, but I think that uh, they, they, they honestly do see it as a transactional. But, but and when pressed, most of those guys will look back on some of those situations with regret. And, yeah. and yeah. the more, yeah. and the deeper they explore it and they say, why did you, why would you say that you regret that? 
Like, if you had it to do over again, would you do everything exactly the same way? And they would probably say no. Like, and, and not even, and I'm talking about this dealing with teenagers for years, whether they're saved or unsaved, whether their experience is similar to mine or not. Like, I've heard all the stories. Like, sure. I, there's nothing out there that's going to shock me. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard just about everything you can imagine under the sun, and it's okay. Yeah. Like, for people to express their stories. But in the quiet moments, when they're sitting one-on-one, when they're actually dealing with core issues going on in their life, a lot of times they will express regret for how that was handled or what they did or how they handled the hearts of so many different women that they were with or that type of thing. And they begin to explore what their role was in this situation. It touches a very deep emotional place in most, in most guys, even though they would say in the moment, I didn't feel anything for her, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's not totally true. And there is an element of your soul, your, your soul and theirs connecting for a moment. And you will remember, like you do remember, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that there's a, there's a song, uh, uh, by death cab for cutie called tiny vessels. And the whole thing is basically Ben Gibbard writing a song about a woman or women that he's bedded that he had no feelings for whatsoever. Yeah. And that they basically lied to each other, knowing that they were lying to each other about. And there's a line in the end uh, that uh, I think it was one last touch and then we'll go and we'll pretend that it meant something so much more. But it was vile and it was cheap and you're beautiful, but you don't mean a thing to me. And I think it's interesting because even in that sense of, of, of that transactional sense of like, this is just us getting something from each other, there's still an identity with this ain't right. Like mm-hmm. even from that a person who like has no, no, no window on the spirituality of that, no, no connection to Christ at all, they're still able to look at that and be like, we know exactly what this is. Right. We don't care, but we absolutely know exactly what this is. How much of that do you think might lend to cultural Christianity's imprint on American culture. It's possible. It's entirely possible. Yeah. But I just think that's interesting. I think yeah, no, I, I think there is some kind of innate knowing of that being yeah, I don't know. No, this I is, think this uh, is something this is a, that I've been a, wrong about. This is a weird path that we have suddenly shot off right, into. Right, no, but I I've but been okay kind of I've been kind of wanting to explore this for a while because there is something about a guy too that would exploit the power dynamic. And I and I get what you're saying about there is a there is a gap there and and yes, you know, that she shouldn't exploit it and he shouldn't exploit it. But on the other hand, if you're a guy and you make that the channel for dealing with you, you're an awful human being. Yeah. So basically we're saying, oh, his channel is like buying the toilet paper at Walmart. They're asking for money. He's asking for sex. Okay. Why are you shopping at that store is basically your argument, right? Sure. Okay. That's, that's wrong that that's what he's asking for. That's what this whole thing is pushing back against. And it's saying, listen, you cannot set up a a way of doing business that says what I'm charging you for this is a sexual favor. This, this cannot exist yeah. as a business transaction. We're going to cut it out. And if you're caught doing it, the ramifications are going to be huge. Yes, somebody did shop there. They used the system that was in place to get what they wanted. But that doesn't mean that the person running the system isn't the guy at fault. He totally. is at fault. Totally. Even if there is consent, 
he is at fault. And absolutely. That's, absolutely that's, agree. That's what I'm saying. Like, that whole thing needs to be broken down. I absolutely and agree. And so anyone that sets up a whole system in the same way of price gouging, you know it when you see it. Yeah. Yes, because everybody agreed, oh, this is just transactional. I'm getting something from you. You're getting something from me. You get a career bump out of it. I get what I want, blah, blah, blah. And this is all transactional. And it should be, quote, unquote, okay. And everybody saw it as okay and just, like, kind of passed it off. That time has passed. And now that people are wise to it and people are bold enough to say something, then I think that's now is a great time as any to kind of reset the thing and yeah. say, that's why I've never, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, out there like pushing the me too thing because I don't really think it's my thing to push. Sure. But I also am super glad that it happened. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm super supportive of everyone who speaks up and speaks out because too many guys have gotten away too long by setting up a system that benefits them. And that's also at some point why I want to get into some other, like Jess and I have talked quite a bit about the pitfalls of complementarianism. Complementarianism is decent biblical understanding where people understand the Bible to say a particular thing, and then they bear it out in society, and most of the time it works. There are a few times in which it can that way mode of thinking can be abused and it looks really, really ugly. Yeah. And so you have to question the motives of why somebody would use something like that to say a, a woman has to submit to a man. Yeah. And what he says goes, he set up this paradigm where that benefits him right. to get what he wants when he should be laying down his yeah. life. Like, so to push back on some of that, either from a biblical perspective or culturally, I think pushing back on that is not necessarily, doesn't have to be feminism, yeah. but it should be something that we as a society agree. Well, like, And it's, it's interesting too. Even, I, even whether or not there was consent, right, I don't totally. care. The, the whole thing is wrong. I agree. And it's funny because I think about a guy like Weinstein and I'm like, Weinstein, Weinstein, who cares? I don't even know. But I'm not going to get his right, his name right or Epstein's name right. I don't care. Both of you, both of them were dirtbags and I'll say it however I want. And they probably wouldn't get your name right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'd but, have to spell it for them. But one of, the things, one of the things that I think is interesting about that, though, is I think there's, there's this automatic thing where you go, you look at him and you're like, you couldn't have even derived any real pleasure from this. No, like th there's no way like that kind of knowing that the only way you can get a woman to interact with you in this way was to bribe her to do it. like like what there's physical satisfaction, but not emotional. Yeah. And I'm saying like the emptiness of that, like yeah. I, and like what man, how empty are you as a person that you're continually chasing this and hurting other people in the name of trying to accomplish something that you're just not getting anyway? Do you do you think it stems from addiction? I think oh, yeah. It, I think people fantasize about that crap all the time. And they get addicted to it. And once it works one time, then eventually they begin to think that they're immune to it. Yeah. And it starts maybe much earlier in life. Anytime that you devalue that part of your life and you continue to debase yourself that way, after a while you're like, man, this is just who I am. This is what I like. I'm well, sorry. I would, look at it, I would look at it and I would say, okay, what woman hurt him that he now wants to go around and... and, and or possibly man. Yeah, or man. I guess that's very true. Um, I think it was. Oh, I can't think of his name. Wild at heart. Who am I thinking of? 
John Eldridge. John Eldridge, you know, his his main contention is um, the majority of men who who are emotionally stunted in some way, it can usually be tied back to their father or yeah. a father figure. Yeah. That told him that to be manly, you had to stunt your emotions. Yeah. That was never the case for me, which is probably why I turned out to win. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is that is an interesting thing. And, and yeah, man. Yeah. We were supposed to keep this lighthearted and funny. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. boy, has it been. Oh, <laughs> it has been tremendously funny. We had a lot of that, but here we are, nonetheless. <laughs> of all things, that's where we ended up. Uh, can I make a request of a future episode from you guys? Sure thing. Yeah, we, right. we're always open to the submission I would, inbox. And that goes for all of you listeners. Yes. I would love for the two of you to do an episode on dating advice for your daughters. Oh, and your sons. Dating advice for my daughters. And sons. And you can make those two separate episodes. Oh, man. Man, I in some ways I know I'm going to struggle with this because... I'm I'm dealing with some of it right now, and it, we'll we'll put, we'll get into it in, in a podcast later because I've always kind of joked with Elena that she can date when she's 34, yeah, and then we'll compromise down from there, yeah. <laughs> and so, but the time is coming. I I mean, and we'll get into this, and I do want to do it in a podcast. And and you know, I I have a daughter and two sons. I'd love to be there for that episode. If I can't make it for that episode, <laughs> and that's just me listening at my desk. That's great too. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I have I, thoughts on this, and I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on it. The older she's getting, the more proud I am of the way Jess has mothered her, and I guess the way I've fathered her, the, the parenting that we've done. And I'm getting to the place where I just want to trust her. Yeah. Like, I want to be able to trust her, and, and it'll be a little bit Ronald Reagan. I'm going to trust but verify. And, and I, want, I want her to make good judgments because this is all about her being in control of her own body and that right. type of thing. So in that sphere, um, probably, and this sounds awful, but I'm probably going to trust her and her judgment and, is, and, and make sure that she has all the information she needs. Yeah. Make sure that she has open channels of communication. But I don't know. I was questioning the other day. I'm like, what if she brings a guy around at 15 and she's like, because she has asked me already, it came up this week, like, what would you say are three rules that I would have for dating? Because they asked her that in school, like, you should get from your parents what are like three rules for dating. And I'm yeah. like, boy, I don't know that I have them. Well, well, how about less of rules that you want your kids to, that you have for your kids and more of advice that you hope that they'd follow? Mm. Right. Okay. Yeah, this, this is, that'll be an interesting one for me because I haven't really thought about it because my, my oldest daughter is two. So I'm like not... <laughs> my oldest is six, and then I got a, a three-year-old boy and a one-year-old boy. Yeah. And you can, you can joke with them to a point, but apparently when they're 12 and they ask you this, yeah. it begins to get more real. Much more yeah. real. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that'd be a worthwhile podcast to pursue for sure. And she's beautiful and i'm like i've seen seventh grade boys these people are trolls <laughs> like obviously none of them is worthy of you like even when your brother gets to seventh grade he's not gonna you know it's just gonna he's gonna be a dude and he's gonna be going through a lot so you know maybe pick up with them when they have like a job oh man <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked Mark Driscoll's advice. It's wrong to date until you're old enough to get married. <laughs> I like that one. If well, I can, we'll, we'll talk about that. If I, I can know. get my kids there, I'll be thrilled. And I'll <laughs> use my own life experience to prove that out. 
I can't say it's wrong. No, but unwise is the word I would use. Yeah. That's a good one. But we'll yeah, save we some can't, of our but we can't rabbit trail on that. We gotta, we gotta pull that. One out. <laughs> if you guys are got... sitting on something that good for a podcast, please tell us. Please, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do things. Yeah, we have a couple in the hopper, but that's yeah. right. Oh man, we're working on a few things to get March out on a good note. So. That's right. That's right. Well, <laughs> I think we have done all the damage that we can do tonight. <laughs> so. Uh, I think we I think we should go ahead and let's call go it. use some these show notes paper. are gonna be a mess. <laughs> let's call it. But anyway, uh, Sheldon, do we have? There are no action steps no, for any no, of this. Don't do anything about it. All right, this. take uh, none of our advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we stand by and endorse nothing that we have said, yeah. except for the things. That's we That's what you should gain from this: <laughs> is yeah. that we stand like even if you pull up records on us from two and a half years ago, we're gonna we're not gonna stand by any yes. of this. Reserve this the right us. and announce myself. This is. Just us thinking out loud. Hopefully right. you've enjoyed it. it. <laughs> and I've already forgotten most of it, so we're all good. As we can tell, I can't visualize any of it. That's that. right. That's right. But anyway, Nelson, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me again. It's always odd and entertaining. <laughs> Not a pleasure, just odd. No, it's always a pleasure, but it's always odd and entertaining as well. So, uh, yeah, this is that. And, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you guys next week. All right. See ya. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.